Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 44. And tonight we're going to be talking about staying in your lane. So as this relates to recovery, I have been thinking about this a little bit. And I know that every time that I start to insert myself into other people's lives and start trying to control them, I lose a little bit of my own serenity and my own sanity. And I was thinking about this recently when I was trying to force recovery onto my sponsee. You know, he was really struggling and I wanted him to get to where I thought he needed to be. And what I lost sight of was the fact that I need to meet him where he's at. I was trying to do his program for him. And instead, I wasn't allowing him the space to grow and develop himself And the relationship was deteriorating, and the relationship was deteriorating quickly. So much so that I got to a point where I had to ask myself, is this the right relationship for me? Is this this working? And fortunately, I was able to step back and realize that I was trying to force my program onto him instead of showing him what I was doing, showing him how I got sober, and really allowing him to drive his own recovery. But Ben, what do you what do you think about this this topic of of staying in your lane? How how does that relate to you and your life and your recovery? This was a something I got a I got a big lesson in uh early early on. Um you know Listeners know that my uh, girlfriend's also in recovery, um, and and so that really, really was helpful for me to learn that lesson. It was painful to learn it, but you know, early on, I once I got into the rooms, and it wasn't really in rehab, but in in IOP, um, I really found this like just desire to like tell everybody how good this thing is and just you know i was promoting the hell out of out of aa and i just didn't understand why people didn't get it like didn't don't you understand how good this is all you have to do is these 12 things and then these things will happen and it seemed so transactional for me at that point but that's where i was that's not where other people were you know and and so as I progressed through my recovery, uh, that really got accelerated um, when my girlfriend relapsed in, I guess, April it was. And, you know, we had said, you know, we would keep our recovery separate. And, and for the most part, we have. We've gone to a couple of meetings together or whatnot. But, you know, it really became, like you said, Jason, meeting her where she was at. And... Really, there's nothing else that I can do except accept that. You know, I can't 
I can't force her or anybody else to be at a different place, not even that I'm at, than a different place that they're ready to be. Like, Because you have to be ready to want to recover, and you have to be ready to recover completely, completely honestly and completely openly, completely vulnerably. You can't just kind of sort of go through this and... You know, that was one of the things that that I learned very early on. But now it's it's one of those things that I I really don't try to impress my um, recovery on anybody, although I'm sure that people are going to roll their eyes and say that's not true at all. Um, But, yeah, I, I have so much of my own crap to deal with. Like, I don't... I really don't have time for, you know, making sure other people are sober. You have to, you have to want it. And if I could help in any way, great. But, you know, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's like that story we've told the, you know, a bunch of times on this uh, podcast that, you know, if you put your, if you don't put your oxygen mask on, if you're flying and, and, and there's an emergency, you can't help anybody else around you. You know, so for me, it really becomes a matter of staying in my lane by, you know, looking out for my recovery first and foremost. I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to see my partner struggling with recovery. You know, I I know how, how difficult it is for me to see my sponsee struggling. And, you know, I, I have four sponsees and they're all, um, within their own program, they all recovered at different times. Most of them are are past a year and and one is very new. And it's harder for me to not compare one's recovery with the other. And it's frustrating because I work with them in in similar ways. I, I, I don't do a cookie cutter approach, you know, because I don't think that helps anybody. But using the same tools and techniques and tactics that I used with other sponsees with this one sponsee and they're not working, trying to figure out different ways to connect with him, you know, that that's been frustrating for me and I can't imagine what it was like for you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like what it felt like for you to have the amount of recovery that you have and to see your partner and how she was struggling with that. One of the things that really helped was the idea, and I don't know where I got it from, probably probably from rehab, but this idea that I, I can't expect anybody to get sober for me. You know, and I, I couldn't get sober for my daughters. Um, and so like the idea that somebody else could get sober for me, it just was, it was, it was one of those things again, pretty black and white, just that's not a thing that, that, that can happen. Uh, they, they have to do it for themselves. You know, the struggle, you know, really was that, you know, once it was down that road, um, it, it started to affect my recovery in the in in ways where I wasn't being true to myself, 
And so it kind of, it became, you know, this, it didn't even become, it wasn't even about, um, you know, this idea of, of me struggling anymore. I was watching her struggle and it, it but, you know, I, I wasn't putting myself first or my well-being first. And, you know, that, that's, that's a really dangerous place to be. And, and it took a lot of time and therapy to really separate it because, you know, one of the things that my sponsors told me was that, you know, I, I think in the back of my mind, I had this idea that like I could pseudo be a pseudo sponsor and be an example of what recovery could look like. And that just affected our relationship in ways that, you know, just it didn't need to affect it. And and so really it became, you know, this thing where even though I was in recovery, I couldn't bring my recovery to that situation. And it just took time to figure that out. It wasn't, I, I wish I had gotten it sooner, but yeah, it, it's not, it, it definitely wasn't easy, but I was able to learn those lessons, you know, relatively quickly because again, going back to myself, I was, honest and open about where I was and what, what road I had been down. And that made realizing what the next right thing was. And then it just became about doing it. I think that's a really important point, especially for our listeners who are in a relationship with another addict, whether they're in recovery or not, or a family member of someone who is struggling with addiction. You know, we've talked on this podcast uh, a couple of times with spouses and family and, and friends and having to watch someone who's struggling with addiction and not imposing your will on them and staying in your lane. You know, that's that's so hard. Um, Chris, I'm interested in in your perspective. You know, you live with someone who is not in recovery. Um, has it ever happened where she has ever tried to impose her way of thinking or her wants for your recovery on you? And, and how did that make you feel if that happened at all? My wife's never been codependent. She's never, no, I'm just kidding. She's gone through, um, I think the gamut of emotions and gone back and forth with trying to help, trying to um, almost direct my recovery and trying to step back. And, you know, a family member, especially a spouse, they're essentially in recovery as well. And they're going through this for the first time or the sixth time or whatever it is. And they're kind of navigating these waters and usually without uh, all the extra help that we get. So, you know, the episode is about staying in your lane. And I think one thing that a lot of my family members and especially my wife early on did was tell me what, how I'm feeling, uh, tell me what will help, what will hurt. And, you know, I can give specific examples such as, um, you know, uh, for example, my father was, uh, previously thinking about moving in. And I would hear something like, if he's there, you will struggle and relapse because he has medicine. And it's, 
you know, I, it's not that I was saying that, and I'm at a point, you know, that I feel comfortable, it might not be the best idea. And we talked it out and it isn't the best idea. However, she's telling me how I feel and what will hurt or help. Um, drug testing, you know, so that's, these are forms of codependency, uh, tracking my phone. So really, these are things that although may not help me in my recovery, temporarily, they make her feel good. And I don't really know if it's right or wrong, but I do go along with them because I am trying to build trust back. Have you seen that have any kind of impact on your relationship? You know, with with over a year of recovery, you know, it may have early on and it may be something that you accept now, but have you seen that impact your relationship at all? So about six years ago, when I got out of rehab the first time, I fought tooth and nail because I was, you know, very prideful and I was like, you know, I got this. I'm the man of the house. You, you can't question me, this, that, and the other. When you relapse enough times, you, I think I'm at the acceptance phase. She doesn't drug test me that many times anymore. Um, I don't even honestly remember the last time she did. However, when she requests it, it's, it's very easy for me to accept it now because I know that I'm doing the right thing. And I know that it'll give her a sense of comfort does it strain our relationship? I think it has an effect because deep down, I know she's not fully trusting me. However, you know, we've talked about the whole, you have to walk a mile in the woods, walk a mile out, right? And I'm nowhere near that mile out. I'll be the first person to say that. So although I might struggle with that whole fact, you know, I still have a lot of walking out of that, that forest. And part of being recovery isn't just stopping drinking, right? It's really about changing all your behaviors or improving on your behaviors as best you can. And, you know, I think this is a really good topic because it's not just about recovery. It's about all aspects of, of life. Like, it's really about focusing on, on what you can and can't control, right? Because when you're not staying in your lane, you're focusing on what you can't control in some way, whether you're trying to fix someone, you're trying to, you know, fix someone that's not asking to be fixed, whether you're giving advice that really isn't warranted when maybe they just want an ear to talk to. And, you know, I just think it's a really good topic overall. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, we talk about, and in my program, Alcoholics Anonymous, about doing these things in all our affairs, right? And and that doesn't just mean when I'm in a meeting or with a sponsee or on this podcast. And I think that in all our affairs means exactly that. So guys, have you ever had a time in the last year, let's say, that you have inserted yourself in someone's life and it's not turned out the way you wanted it to. Oh yeah. I, you know, going back to the, the um, conversations that I would have at, at IOP with people, you know, I, I was going, I was actually going through my phone the other day and trying to see who, um, 
who I still talk to from IOP and just kind of recalling conversations that we had and text exchanges that we had had. And, you know, those, you know, a lot of those people went back out. And so it, it became, you know, I think at, at a, at some point I just, I don't want to say that I stopped caring, but I couldn't allow myself to be affected by that stuff because it was just, it's, it was always a net negative. There, there's for me, there's very little, I want to, I want to say reward in inserting myself in somebody else's recovery because ultimately I can't take any of the credit for it. You know, so, so I don't want to not, I don't blame is not the right word, but I don't want to be saddled with the negative emotions of somebody going out, even though, you know, I spent time on the phone with them or, you know, was texting them back and forth and trying to be encouraging. And then eventually those calls stop and those texts stop and they stop showing up to meetings. And there's really, you know, there's just, you, you, you kind of come to the realization that they've lost their way on the road to recovery. And that that's fine. But, you know, it, and that's why I think that if you're going to insert yourself into somebody's recovery, you do it through sponsorship. You do it through a framework where you're not explaining what you believe. You're explaining what you were shown. You know, and that, that takes the uh, subjectivity out of it where it's not my story. I'm just telling you what I was taught. And that way I don't get any of the credit, but I also, again, I'm not saddled with any of the pain when it doesn't, if, if it happens to go off the rails. Yeah. I mean, to jump on the non-recovery side recently, my father, once again, um, really not trying to bash him today, but uh, he got out of the hospital. He had a surgery and the doctors told him, like, you have to eat a certain amount of calories to build up your your weight back and basically get healthy again. And I, you know, dropped him off in the hospital and I basically ordered him a bunch of like prepackaged meals. I got him insurers. I made him a schedule. I did all this. And then when he didn't follow my schedule, when he didn't eat those things, I got really upset. But then I, you know, I ended up talking to my sponsor and his first question was, did he ask for your help? And I, you know, I said, no, but he's my dad, this, that, you know, he's like, did he ask for your help? And he didn't. You know, and as much as it, you know, pains me that he's not really following the doctor's quote unquote orders, it's not, oh, it's not my position to insert myself into his life because he didn't ask. Now, if he asked and I did all that, like, it's a different story, but that, that wasn't the case. And, you know, another thing I see about staying in your lane, it's not just not inserting yourself in situations. I think a good one is, you know, the climate of the country, let's just say, I'll try to, you know, stand on the 5,000 foot view. There's a lot of differing opinions and thinking that you're always right, whether whatever side of whatever issue you're on, 
is not staying in your lane. And I think people need to do a better job of listening and accepting. And if you don't agree, it's okay. But not getting upset at someone, not jumping down your throat, not trying to always change their opinion. Now you can talk and have a conversation and, you know, in a healthy way, but that's not what you see a lot of times nowadays. So once again, I really just, I love this topic. I, I think you're absolutely right too, as, especially with the political environment. You have two sides on opposite ends of the spectrum who are dead set against each other. And listening, I think, is, is a key attribute for reaching some sort of mutual ground and understanding. But whether it's one side or the other, let's just use Democrats and Republicans, right? Both are so ingrained in their ideas being correct that they don't even listen to any type of reasoning of the other side. And I'm talking more like, you know, Congress, real, real high level politics that there's no reaching across the aisle. It's my way or the highway. And that's on both sides. You know, regardless of my personal political views, I really believe that there's no sense of uh, mutual um, respect for what the other side has to say. Um, and that comes down to the personal level, just like you were saying, if I believe one way and I'm trying to always convince you that my way is right, that doesn't preserve the relationship. And I think, you know, ways to stay in our lane could also include listening. So what other ways do you use to stay in your lane while still trying to preserve relationships? Yeah, I think listening is a great point. And you guys made some really good analogies there. Um, there's, you know, for me, it really is acceptance is a huge, huge component to it of not just listening, but understanding and understanding that that person is right where they're supposed to be for certain reasons, whether I understand them or not. And it's not my job to get them out of there. It wasn't, it was, I didn't, I didn't put them there. So I'm not burdened by the idea that I need to rescue them from this, whatever this thing is. And you know, and again, that that crosses all kinds of, of lines, recovery, non-recovery. You know, so it's it's deeper than just listening. It is you have to understand the you have to want to understand the person. You, you don't even need to understand what they're talking about. You know, because like like you said, you know, the left and the right, Yankees fans, Red Sox fans. You know, it, there's just not going to be agreements over basic things. And, you know, th that's always been what that's I've always said that that politics is really nothing more than highbrow sports because it's just rooting for one side or the other. It's just you don't care what it is as long as your team wins. If your Giants fans don't care if 
they win by running the ball or great defense or passing, they, they don't care. And it's the same thing with recovery. We don't care how we get recovered. We just want to be recovered. And there's just no other way to look at it if that's the only side that you're going to consider. But you have to, again, understand that not everybody's ready to consider that side. I liked how you said that. You don't have to save someone else. You know, you don't you don't have to convince them of your way because they need saving. You know, I, I really liked how you said that. Yeah, I also agree with your statement. You know, there's no one way to recover. And I think we find that I, I really do like all 12-step programs. One thing that I have found in the past in those rooms is certain people are closed off to other perspectives with recovery and you know it worked for them and that is the way you know ben you mentioned early on like i wanted to scream at the top of my lungs and it was very transactional a lot of times people get to that point and they're like oh my god it's so good and then you hear oh well i'm gonna try this a common one is i'm gonna just drink or i you know i might smoke weed right and to us, that sounds like a bad idea, right? And it might not be something that we want to insert in our lives, but for them, it might work. It has a low success rate. I do agree with that. But you know what? If it gets them off the street shooting heroin, it might be a good idea for them. Yeah, the same concept is I'm getting sober without doing any type of program or I'm getting sober by doing something other than a 12-step program. Even though that worked for me, and that was the way that I needed to recover, I remember when I first when I first got out of rehab, and we had a friend in our group that that was talking about, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna smoke weed because XYZ. Um, you know, regardless of the fact that it didn't work for him, regardless of the fact that, you know, he continued to struggle. Um, my viewpoint on it was, how dare you? And you need to do it this way. And that's that's the way that I'm doing it. And I'm sober and I'm more sober than you. And looking at the way that I was then is just so ridiculous. You know, me imposing my way of recovery onto someone else. Now bring this full circle of what I was talking about when I opened up the episode tonight, me imposing my program onto my sponsee, thinking that that relationship allowed me to do that. You know, and I really had to step back and say, I was, I'm in effect doing the same thing. You have to do it the way that I did it. Otherwise you're not going to get it. Now, in this relationship, being able to show him the way that I got sober and really working with him to do some of the things that I did. Yeah, that may work for him, but it might not either. Yeah, th just the idea of imposing your program on somebody else that that really resonates with me. Because even if you look in the context of a, uh, a a particular 12 step program you know like chris was saying before you know 
there's all kinds of alternatives, but if you're you're looking within one, I think probably the biggest thing for me, like the biggest lesson I learned was that you don't like just look at the people in meetings and it's like for me being a daily meeting uh, you know person, like I'm able to see all kinds of different attendance or some people sponsor and some people don't and some people show up every day and some people show up on certain days and other people just show up to the Saturday morning men's meeting and you know it is just simply personal preference it's just whatever keeps them sober you know I think early on it was really difficult for me to comprehend when people be like yeah I haven't had a meeting in two weeks and I'm like oh this this guy's got to be on the edge of drinking and he's like, yeah, I have 37 years. Like, that's just where he's at. Like, that, he doesn't need a meeting every single day or even every week. But he knows internally, all right, I've been away long enough. I, I can feel something's off. And he gets in the room and he shares about it. And, and, he, and he goes back on. And maybe he shows up for, you know, a, a couple weeks and then disappears again. Or it's just whatever floats your particular boat. Think about how, I don't know if this is the right word, but entitled we must feel to, or must be to feel that our opinion or our thought on something is the way. So, you know, I've, I've been sober for one year, so I can tell this person what he or she should or shouldn't do. And, you know, Jason, I was thinking about what you were saying with your sponsees. And although it might, you know, people might have their own program, be able to recover their own way. That doesn't necessarily also mean that you have to accept that within your own life, because what that might do, you know, you have to accept them as a person, you, you could listen to them, but that doesn't mean you have to agree. And that also doesn't mean that you can't pull out of that situation because it might in the end, like put your serenity off kilter, right? it might not be okay for you. That's an excellent point. You know, being able to accept people for who they are and who they are not is different than staying in a relationship with that person. You know, so for instance, if I am friends with someone and I discover in one way that they have beliefs on gays or any type of prejudice or you know bigot thinking i can accept them for who they are even though i would hope that they would change i'm not going to change them i can show up as who i am but i don't have to continue to be friends with them you know i i think that's an excellent point is I have to accept that person for who they are and who they are not, but that doesn't mean that I have to be in any type of relationship with them in, a, in any way. So I'm interested in another topic, and, and this, this um, relates to our, our topic tonight, how we compare ourselves to other people's recovery. You know, we, t we talked a little bit about imposing our recovery on other people, 
but internally comparing ourselves to the way that other people are recovering and measuring ourselves up against that. And Ben, you've, you've talked about this a little bit before on this podcast that you would, and I think it was around judgment or our episode around judgment. Um, but does comparing ourselves mean that we're veering out of our lane? You know, does it, does it mean that we really need to keep focused on ourselves so that we do what we need to do to recover? And how does that relate with each other? Yeah, I think it definitely is. It's not only I need to stay in my lane if I find myself comparing my recovery to somebody else's, but it's it's a really big red flag that my ego is is going unchecked and that needs to be addressed immediately. So instead of like right off the bat as, as soon as I feel myself judging somebody else's recovery, I'm just naturally comparing it to my own experience. And, you know, there's just, I, I just, I don't need to be there. I don't need to be worrying about every other person in the room. And if I find myself doing that, that's a really big red flag that, oh, I need to turn this immediately in on myself. And I need to do more work on, on shrinking that ego because my recovery is, it's my own. It's not for anybody else. So the idea that I could then look at somebody else's, you know, I think I, I don't, I don't, I don't care what anybody else thinks of my recovery. I really don't. So the idea that some, somebody else would care what I thought of their recovery, it's just, you know, it's about as egotistical as it gets. Yeah, you almost need a checklist. And to bring this back, as Jason says, full circle, it's kind of what I said in the beginning, you know, if you if you're focusing on things that you can't control, and you know, the question could be, uh, can I control their recovery? No, okay, I'm probably focusing on I'm probably not staying in my lane then. Right. And your original question was on comparison. And, you know, for this specific topic, I'd say a lot of people early in recovery focus so much on the number. And I just want to reiterate that there are people that are two months sober that are more recovered than people that are 20 years sober. And I wholeheartedly believe that it's really about the person that you're becoming, the behaviors that you're changing. So how do you how do you stop doing that? You know, for the for the newcomers in in the rooms or out of the rooms or people who are in their first year, how do you stop comparing yourself? Ben, you you know, you were just talking about I need to deflate my ego. I need to focus on myself. What are some ways that you can do that? What are what's some advice that you guys have for the newcomer? You could start by using I statements a lot. I mean, this is like simple therapy 101, but use I statements that'll funnel you into what is going on within your lane, right? And not what's going on around around you. Uh, thinking before you speak, you know, that's something that I think I don't do well a lot of times. But when you truly think about what you say before you speak, you generally funnel out all the nonsense that you really just comes to your head and it's like that stream of consciousness. 
And I think really, if we practice what we preach within the recovery community, it teaches you to stay in your lane, to help others, to really listen. And when you're listening, you're not giving unwarranted advice. You're not giving unwarranted, uh, you're not doing unwarranted actions. You're really, it, it, within recovery, it makes you stay in your lane. I, I loved what you said about thinking before you speak. You know, I, I was so guilty of that before. And I would actually have arguments in my head with someone with them not even being in the same room as me. And I would argue my side and I would argue what I think that they would say. And I would always win the argument because it was with myself. You know, I'd be in the shower, like having this argument with someone and assuming what they would say and countering their argument with my argument and getting out of the shower and thinking, huh, this is going to go well. I know exactly what's going to happen. And inevitably, every single time, that's not what happened. And then when you saw that person, you probably were in this state of mind that might not have happened, you know, if you didn't have that argument with yourself, right? Like you were prepared when you saw that person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and my way of in, engaging and interacting with that person changed. Like I, I had all of this power. Like, yeah, you know what you did and you know what you said without them ever saying a word. And in fact, that would catch up to me sometimes. And I would actually say to the person, you know, when we talked about this and they'd have no idea what I was talking about because we never had that conversation. That hits, hits home. It reminds me of something one of my, my first uh, therapists said about like, we can only, that's like human beings consider like three or four possible outcomes of a certain situation. And there's legitimately like a billion things that could happen between then and now. And so this idea that like, we're going to go down any one of those roads and play the whole tape out and know like, yep, this is how it's going to, it's just, it's just pure insanity. But to your question about the things that, you know, you can, we can do is, you know, Chris, a couple of great points there, you know, being mindful, just, yeah, thinking, thinking before you you speak is huge, but be honest and have somebody you can run that across. Because again, I've like I've talked about, you know, there were <clears throat> times that I was really bothered by somebody in the room, and I brought it to my sponsor, and I was like, "Hey, man, what about this?" And he's like, "Yeah, just keep moving, keep moving." And so it was a byproduct of being honest about it that I had somebody there to tell me, you don't need to be worrying about those things. And so stuff like that is is really big, you know, because otherwise it just becomes, like you said, Jason, these self-fulfilling prophecies and these kind of these interior arguments or discussions or just we play the entire thing out and it's just not that at all. And so instead, it's just easier to think before you speak, especially if it's to that person, run it by with somebody that you trust their judgment. And, you know, if you find yourself in a vacuum where they're just, you know, it just echo chambering everything that you're saying, 
it's probably a red flag because it's not a place you want to be. It's kind of like sitting on that email or that text message that you wrote out and not sending it. You know, I mean, I've I've had instances where I wanted to say all of this stuff to someone. And fortunately, they had either blocked me or or something. And so I had no way of actually communicating it. So I took out my my phone and I put it in the notes section and 24 or 48 hours went by. And by the time I was able to read what I actually wrote, I didn't want to send it anymore. You know, so being able to take that pause, going back to Quint's episode, you know, take that pause and being able to sit in whatever emotion that you're feeling to see that after that pause, if you really want to say or send that. You know what I'm really thinking about as you guys are talking? Imagine if the quote unquote normies, like people who aren't in recovery, had a sponsor. Like it's such a good thing to be able to bounce ideas off of somebody. And, you know, we take, you know, we take it for granted sometimes, but we have this person that's really most of the time at your beck and call to be like, I'm frustrated. Like in, in most good sponsors, they are very good listeners. I would say that is one of the best traded sponsors. And, you know, a lot of quote unquote normies, those, those sponsor types might be your best friends. But I think what's good about sponsors and recovery is usually they're not so directly related within your life. They have a better view, uh, objective view, I would say. Absolutely. And, and that just expands to having an entire program. You know, I, I wish that these normies, these people who aren't affected with um, the disease that we have, had some type of program, you know, we, we have it easy in a way because we can always bring it back to ours, you know, but to be able to have that objective voice where it's not someone who's so closely tied to your day to day in your life to really be able to sit back and say, okay, here's where you may be right. And here's where you may be wrong. It's kind of like a therapist in a way. You know, that's why I'm such an advocate for therapy, because that person is a is an objective third party that can say when you're right and when you're wrong. Well, I think that's an excellent place to stop. Um, Great topic tonight. You know, it's something that I am really focused on in this new year, um, making sure that my wants, needs and desires are met, but also um, making sure that I stay in my lane. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We wanna hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.